Hear then the word of the Lord from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, starting at verse 14. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in the land of your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he may not cry against you to the Lord, and it become a sin in you. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten the sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the bows a second again. It shall be for the alien, and the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien and the orphan and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. From the New Testament, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thus far the written word. Our Heavenly Father, grant that we shall understand the fullness of your revelation. Thank us, O Lord, to know that you have called us to holiness of life in Jesus Christ. But may we understand the, dis- the distinction and the difference between our justification freely given and our sanctification, which is now the work of the Spirit in us. Lord God, may we understand that all things have been revealed for your glory, and so we pray for the fullest wisdom to be given to us this day as we seek to understand the call to sanctification and holiness of life as believers in the church to be lived for your glory. We ask all these through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. We return again to the book of Romans, and now we have entered the third and final section of this book, 
the section which speaks of our gratitude to God and of the sanctification of the believer. To many people, this is, of course, their favorite part of the book of Romans. It seems more straightforward, easier to understand, and obviously this is the part that really has relevance for this age, as opposed to all that, you know, theoretical theology that we did earlier that has no real bearing. It is sad that Christians often will come to the word of God this way, where the theology that God has spoken, where he reveals who he is in himself, where he speaks of the Trinity and his eternal counsel, is taken so lightly, in fact, despised. It is believed to be, in fact, an error that God made. And these parts of Scripture, these are the ones that matter. Where you get back to more law, where you get back to more instructions on how your daily life is to be lived. Now, as true Christians, we must believe all the word of God is given to us and is good. That all the word of God must be understood. And so we do delight in learning the theology, but we also diligently seek to understand the commands given for a sanctifying Christian life. Therefore, as we approach these things, we come knowing that we are saved by grace alone, that it is through Jesus Christ alone that we have been given life and a new name. But we have been raised up with Jesus, as Paul said back in chapter 6, and therefore we are to live new lives. Now, in order to understand what these new lives are, we are given these instructions, these commands and laws. And so understand, you are going to be able to do these things because now the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God will move you and guide you, and you, in cooperation with the Spirit of God, are to grow in sanctification as you seek to honor the King of Kings. Doing these things will not justify you. You have already been justified by grace through faith. It will not add to your reward, as all things are already yours in Jesus Christ. But it is the right and proper response of gratitude. And it is impossible for one who has been made alive in Jesus Christ to despise these things. So remember where we began in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We were told, Brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And this devoting our entire persons to the spiritual worship of God, is the reasonable, rational thing to do. And therefore, we can no longer be guided or conformed to this world, but rather we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We must be transformed by the Spirit of God in order that we now think God's thoughts rather than going on in the old foolish ways of man's fallen thoughts. The Apostle Paul told us that we are to serve well in the church, that we are to do all things for the glory of God, and we are to see that we are members of one body, and therefore it's not a burden for us to do good for others, because we are really doing it to ourselves, because we are all one in Jesus Christ. Now he goes on to further explain what this true loving service means. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now this is the general theme, and this is what is going to be expounded on in the remaining verses. 
The love that we are to have for one another must be a wholesome, simple, and pure love. It cannot be double-minded. It cannot be a complex love that seeks to negotiate and trade. And it cannot be hypocritical in any way, having an ulterior motive of benefit to yourself rather than the good of others. Love must be without any tint of evil. In fact, you must despise that which is evil and rather cling to, adhere to what is good. What does this mean? Now, for many of us, we think, you know, the the best thing we can do is make sure that we don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, and, you know, as best as you can, don't lie, don't gossip, and that this kind of covers what we should be doing. And if we are succeeding in doing these things, then God is pleased with us. But you'll notice now as we look further that that is entirely an inadequate understanding of the loving service that God requires. Because the avoidance of sin is simply the starting point. Note verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And do not lag behind in diligence. You must rather be fervent in spirit, fired up by the Holy Spirit of God, that you may serve the Lord, always rejoicing in the hope that God has given you, persevering through the tribulations that he ordains for your life, devoted to the practice of prayer, communing with God, contributing, giving your time and money to the need of the saints, and practicing hospitality. Abhorring what is evil is an avoidance of sin. But the contrast to that is not simply a monastic life. The Christian cannot withdraw from society. The Christian is not free to go hide in the desert and pray every day. That is an unacceptable option. Prayer is part of your life. But you are also called to love one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another, honor others, and in the spirit of the Lord God, have a true and living hope and a life that understands that you are already redeemed, rather than a life which is lived in fear of losing redemption, and so you seek to avoid everything by becoming a monastic. And yet, what has the church done historically? We honor the monastics and the hermits. We think that somehow these people took seriously the call to holiness and they gave up everything. Whereas the reality is they were cowards. I don't mean to dishonor their memory particularly, but let's look at it scripturally. God is telling us that we are to be devoted to one another in service that cannot be done where you seek to avoid others. And that also today would mean hiding in your own house, having your own little world life that you seek to avoid being tainted by anything else. Christianity is a risky religion. It is a risky life. You are going to be among the evildoers. You are going to have to go to people who are hurting. And yes, you are going to weep with them. Continuing on. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind. View yourself as equal to one another. Do not be haughty or arrogant in mind, 
but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. We are told not only are we to avoid evil and seek to do good to others, but we are told to do good to those who are actually actively seeking to harm us. Those who are persecuting us simply because we are believers. And we're told that not only are we not to attack them back, we are to bless them rather than curse them. Now understand what this means. You know when we give the benediction at the end of the service where we call upon the triune God to give blessings to you, his people. That's what it means here too. You are to pray for the good of others, even those who seek your destruction because you belong to the Lord. Just as Jesus himself called upon the Father to forgive those who were crucifying him. In these things, we are to seek to encourage others. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice, it says. That means those who are happy, regardless of what our condition is, we are to rejoice with them, to be grateful that God has blessed them. And regardless of how good our estate is, we are to weep with those who weep. We are to actually understand that the world doesn't revolve around us, and we are to take time to sympathize, empathize with those who suffer, who are lacking in things that they desire or need. Even when we cannot provide for them, we are to be with them and just simply share their sorrows. We do this because we view ourselves as equal to one another, because we know that we were all sinners, that none of us had done good, none of us deserves any better than any one of us has received, and therefore, having given up this foolish arrogance where we think we should be judged differently or better, or the arrogance which says that my sins are worse than anyone else's, believe it or not, that is a form of arrogance where you become so humble that Christ's death barely atones for you, even though he easily takes care of everyone else. We are to see ourselves as just the same as everyone, sinners in need of God's grace. And therefore, we will associate with each and every person whom God calls to be a member of his church. doesn't matter what race you are doesn't matter what economic standing you have, your level of education, your gender. We are all one in Christ. And when we say these things, it needs to go beyond our immediate church. It means this forms your thinking everywhere you go. You view all people as sinners who either have received grace or are in need of grace. You do not view yourself as being better or smarter than anyone else because you did not come up with this idea of working out your salvation. God worked out your salvation. God delivered you, and therefore you deal with others as your equals. And this is one of the calls of growing in the Christian life. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. In fact, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This command is very difficult and hence often ignored. You are never to pay back evil for evil to anyone. You are never 
to do that which is to your advantage to the expense of another, even when the other person has, in fact, committed evil against you. In fact, insofar as there is any hope, you are to seek to be at peace with all men. Not just believers, all men. And therefore, you never take your own revenge, beloved. But you leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will humiliate him in his arrogance and hate. You will pile up heaping burning coals upon his head. The shaming of such a man may be used by God to bring him to repentance as he sees he cannot break you to be like him, but rather you remain like your heavenly Father. In the face of persecution, you show love. Where others curse you, you bless them. Where they seek your death, you give them food and water. And in doing these things, it is a reflection of the fact that you are now more and more being given the mind of Christ, your Savior. You must never let evil overcome you. You must never let evil be your master, which guides your thinking and your actions. You must rather overcome this evil through the good, the Spirit of God dwelling in you, killing off the old man and the reviving of, the strengthening of the new man. This is the calling of the believer. And if you say, that doesn't sound easy, let me make it very simple. It's impossible. You will never live up to this standard. But this is the standard to which we have been called. It's not the standard we tend to like, and it's certainly not the one that is generally practiced. What is the general standard of Christian holiness that we observe around us? Well, what we need to do is to make sure that in public we condemn homosexuality. We have to make sure that in public we announce that abortion is wrong and, in fact, protest abortion clinics. In fact, as Christians, we should seek to give up things that God hasn't even forbidden. And so as Christians, we should be against drinking, even though drinking may have been okay in Jesus' time. As Christians, we need to make sure that we never come anywhere near anything that could tempt us. And so we should have little isolated Christian communities that have no contact with anyone else in the world, lest, God forbid, we fall into temptation. But this idea of blessing those who persecute us, that's not realistic. How about uh, loving those who have been our enemies? No, that doesn't work out. Jesus commanded it, we ignore that, but instead we set up these straw men, if you will. We set up these false notions of piety, and we seek to do those things. And it's like, well, see, you can see our church has a statement in public that we condemn homosexuality. That must make us true believers. You know, God is pretty good about deciding what's holiness. He has already declared what is sin and what is righteousness. We don't need to go around and declare something is sin more loudly. Simply read the law of God and show this is what God calls sin. And he calls you out of that sin to repentance and holiness of life. And this is what he calls us to. The proper Christian life, if you have to go out there and scream on television, is to be calling upon people 
Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. This is the call to the believer. And as Paul said, as we looked at in the doctrine of discipline, what do I have to do with unbelievers outside the church? They are already outside the church. By our definitions, they are already condemned. To tell them they are further condemned is irrelevant and pointless. Our call is to grow in holiness of life in the Christian church. And therefore, this is what we look at, not as a means of condemning others, but to look at ourselves and see what we must become. And where we see that we have not achieved these things, to go humbly before the Lord our God and confess, Lord God, I am not growing in the mind of Christ, my Savior, but I am continuously being overcome by evil. I hate my enemies. I even hate most of my friends. I want evil on others. I want only benefit for myself. I would rather everyone else get poorer just so that I can be richer than they are. This is who I really am. And therefore, O oh Lord, forgive me and take away from me the pride that says, at least I'm not a homosexual. At least I didn't commit adultery. Congratulations. You shouldn't have even thought of them, let alone do them. What about all these other things that call you to reflect Christ's image perfectly? Even in the Old Covenant, they were to understand, and this also gives to us a fuller understanding of what the law really is. Deuteronomy 24. You are not to oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether or not he is a Jew or an alien or Christian or an unbeliever. You shall give him his wages on the day before the sun sets, for he is poor, and he sets his heart on it. And you give this to him so that he may not cry against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin to you. So then what is the attitude of those who belong to God? It is to be a generous spirit. It is to be charitable in the service of others. It is to give to anyone whatever they have earned, regardless of whether or not you can play games and keep some from them. Another principle of justice we often forget. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. And yet, how do we think as Christians? Believe it or not, we do not here think as Christians most of the time. We actually think in a principle that Marx developed, Karl Marx, which looked at everybody as groups, so we identify everyone as groups. Those are the blacks, those are the whites. These are the Americans, these are the Iraqis. We don't see people as individuals. And so we believe collective punishments are appropriate. And yet God says, my people shall view individuals as either sinners or righteous. And you will never punish one who is innocent for the sins of anyone associated with him. And yet we get caught up in this identity thing where we believe that somehow our group is better than all others, whether it is ethnic, whether it is national, whether it is our polit political party. And we are completely oblivious to the reality of that as Christians, we are given the impossibly difficult task of knowing individuals and of loving individuals and serving individuals who have harmed us. You shall not pervert the justice due to an alien, an orphan, or take a widow's garment and pledge. You will never use your strength to take advantage of the weak. You will never do anything that will compromise 
the integrity of true justice, regardless of the power you may possess. You are to remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. This goes exactly what Paul said. You are to remember to be of the same mind toward one another. Never be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. None of you started off as God's perfect children. You have been called out of darkness into light. And then the spirit of generosity. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again, for it shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. The spirit of generosity, whereby that which is yours, God tells you to freely give to others. He says is necessary to demonstrate that you recognize that you are a redeemed person. This is why the uh, clause here, or the statement here, never pay back evil to anyone and never take your own revenge. God is reminding you of who you are. You were one who deserved the wrath of God. You were the one who deserved everlasting punishment, and God redeemed you. He didn't redeem you to be God. He redeemed you to be his own child. He will continue to be the judge of the universe. He will continue to rule. And therefore, you, recognizing that he's God and you're not, must give up the desire for advantage and for revenge. You must give up the desire to read to everyone else a list of their sins. Rather, you are to show kindness and compassion while they sin against you in order that God will show them who he is by what he has made his children to become. As I say, this is well beyond any of our abilities. I dare say there has never been a man aside from Christ upon this earth who has fulfilled these things. And yet the Apostle Paul doesn't just say, here's an ideal, but you know, you're free to ignore it because it's not realistic. He tells us this is what you are to become. You are to have a true and sincere love that has no hypocrisy or hidden motive in the service you provide for others, in the joy that you have for the good that others are given by God. You are to hate evil, and you are to cling to what is good. So is it wrong then to acknowledge that sin is sin? No, of course not. In fact, it's necessary to call sin, sin. The problem is, when it's done with the spirit of, I don't do these things, I'm better than you, and so I'm reminding you of how horrible a person you are. When the law of God is read and every one of us sees in the law our own condemnation, and therefore we see that there is no one who does good, not even one, and in fact we have delighted in the sins of others, and so we go before God and confess, I am the sinner. Have mercy upon me. Then God says, I will forgive you. 
I will lift you up. And now, as the one who knows that you are nothing but now have everything, live this way. Love one another. Be always prepared to serve humbly those who are your friends and those who are your enemies. Persevere through all the tribulations I send your way. Through prayer, be a communion with me that I may encourage you through these times, that I may strengthen you, that you may never forget that I am your Father. And so, as Christians, we are to live as those who know that we are one body together, who understand that our calling is a worldwide calling to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, that we are not to view anyone as being beneath the gospel. Oh, those people, what they did was so bad, we should never preach the gospel to them. Or those people, they're too stupid. There's no point in that. We'll just waste our time and money. Where we are given the opportunity, we will put our young children, we will send out our sons who are trained, we will give our money, we will do whatever it takes to see the gospel gets preached. And when God saves anyone, including your worst enemy, you will embrace that one because he is now a member of the family of God. You will forgive him any offenses he committed against you. And if there is anything that needs to be rectified, you will trust God to do that. If this is overwhelming you, good. That means you've understood it. If you're looking at this and thinking, yeah, that's not so bad, then I'm afraid you completely missed the point. You should be humbled and broken as you read this. Every one of us, from me down through the elders and the officers down to each and every one of you, has failed to fulfill these simple commands. Therefore, each and every one of us should go back before God so incredibly grateful that he has saved us by grace alone and not by these works. But let us then also ask him, Lord God, for your glory's sake, work these works in me, that your name may be praised, and that your children may be blessed. And make me content in your providence, and in your day, when you shall come to glorify your name, by bringing your kingdom in power and in glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, but we are truly humbled. We thank you that you still speak to us despite the fact that we are wholly unworthy. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you continue to show mercy to us, though we are certainly anything but merciful ourselves where we have any power. And Lord, we pray that you will work in us true righteousness by your Spirit. It is impossible for us to achieve these things, but we know that through you, the name which is above every name shall be glorified, that your children, however slowly, will truly grow in sanctification, that you, O oh God, will be honored. And so we ask that this day you will remind us of your grace and remind us of our calling in you. Amen. Amen. So let us sing Psalm 5 and thereupon meditate the high calling that we have to hear the word of God and to love righteousness. Let us stand and sing.